It's working. That sounds like it's coming through. We're good. Okie doke. Uh, well, uh, given the topic today, and we will have the Bible reading in just a moment, uh, good to flag question time. So if I see you on your phones through the sermon, I'll know you're texting in your questions. Uh, anything that's texted, we won't read out who that's from. So if that's something a bit sensitive that you still want to ask, but you're like, oh, don't want to ask it in person, that's fine. But otherwise, we will have a, uh, Lawrence will come around with the, the mic after um, the sermon. So you can, you can just ask in person as we go as well. Um, now, as we come to today, one of the big questions we have is how do we treat our bodies? Because the world has a lot to say about our bodies, doesn't it? Uh, there's whole industries built on our bodies. Whether it's the world saying that how you look doesn't define who you are, or whether it's someone saying how you look definitely does define who you are, which is why you need to buy my product uh, or my exercise program. Uh, Although the world talks to us about health, about fitness, about exercise. The world has a heap to say to us about our bodies. But, but what about Christians? Uh, what about the church? Should we be thinking or talking about what we do with our bodies here at church? Uh, does God care about our bodies? Or should we only be talking about spiritual stuff here? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, come on, Liam, stay in your lane. Uh, you're only talking about my soul. My body's got nothing to do with you. We're at church. We only talk about spiritual things. Um, does God care? When it comes to what we do with our bodies, things like drinking uh, alcohol, not just Water, yeah, I think that's, we need to drink water. Uh, drinking, sex, exercise, food, both quantities and type. Does, does God care about these things? Now, in some elements of Christianity, the body gets heaps of attention. Uh, maybe you could say too much attention. Uh, how you treat your body can become the issue. Uh, and that's kind of what the, the mission or the ministry of the church is to, to deal with that. But it's also possible to give this area too little attention, too little thought. Because what we think changes how we act. And we need to ask today, uh, wherever you're at, whether you're exploring Jesus and thinking, hey, maybe I want to join this family, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or a short time, uh, does what we think about our physicality, about our bodies and how we use them, does it match what God says? It might be a yes, it might be a no, and it might need a tweak. Now, a little bit of, I guess, a trigger warning here. We are talking about sex and particularly sexual sin. Uh, thanks, Mal, for your prayer. I think that's really appropriate given what we're digging into today. And you might find yourself today stuck in sexual sin. Uh, it might be something that nobody else knows about. Uh, and if that's you, I can pretty well guarantee it's going to be a confronting time for you today. And in a way, that's... That's a good thing. I don't want to apologize for that. That's, that's how it is. But I'm praying that you don't walk out of here buried in shame, but instead you walk out of here with hope. Uh, maybe you're coming into today with, with uh, a sadness over your sexual past, whether it's somebody, uh, someone else or yourself. You might have regret, regrets. You might see or feel the consequences 
Uh, but I want to encourage you that there is real freedom to be had uh, when we put our trust in Jesus and start to experience the, the cleansing and healing and restoration, even from these things that get really deep in us. Um, so we're going to read now. We're going to pause. Uh, Rob's going to come up. Uh, if you've got a paper Bible, open that up to 1 Corinthians 6, but everything will be on the screen as well. All right, so 1 Corinthians 6, uh, it'll be on the screen there. Please read me. Read with me. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but it will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever, can, whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Awesome. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks for reading that one, uh, Rob. Uh, so what, what, have we, what have we got here in this chunk in Corinthians? Uh, what, what we've got is a case study. Uh, it's the Corinthian church. This is a group of Christians. So this is a reminder. These are God's words to his people, to Christians. So if, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't accepted Jesus, if you don't trust him as your Lord and Savior yet, uh, this is for you to look in and say, what would it be like if I was to be a Christian? What would God ask of me? But if you are a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus and said, yes, I'm in, well, what we have is a case study of a church, a group of Christians uh, who have got their practice and thinking quite wrong. Uh, you might remember maybe from the, the start of this series, Rob gave us a school report, fake school report for the Corinthian church, uh, and their sexual ethics, I think we gave them an F. Uh, that was only because the scale didn't go lower. Uh, they've got a guy in their church who's sleeping with his stepmother. The church know about it and kind of approve and say, yeah, that's fine. That's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, and here the church is, well, not the whole church, but at least some members of the church, and it's known within the church are going to see prostitutes. Uh, they're sleeping around. See, the Corinthian church need recalibrating. Uh, they actually need a sexual revolution. They don't just need a tweak. Um, so what are the Corinthians thinking? What in their thinking needs, needs fixing? Um, we've got three things in their, their thinking that Paul addresses here. Um, they've got the wrong idea about freedom. They've got the wrong idea about their bodies. And they've got some wrong ideas or some incomplete ideas about salvation. Uh, and Paul deals with all those, those thinking problems. And then he says, uh, I'm not going to leave it there. I need to address your practice as well, how you're behaving. Uh, and so that's how we're going to step through it. And, and I trust that this will be relevant for us today uh, because our society is hugely sexualized um, and statistically 
a whole bunch of us, like more than half, will be struggling with sexual sin in some way or another. So if that's you today, you're not on your own, and this is a message that we need for us today. Um, So let's jump in and have a look. The first thing uh, Paul has for the Corinthians and for us is a correction in how we think about freedom. Now, what's going on in this verse, in verse 12, is the Corinthians have kind of a slogan, and then Paul says, oh, you you haven't got that quite right. See, see what they're saying. The Corinthians are saying, this is their little cliche, I have the right to do anything, you say. And Paul responds, yeah, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, the Corinthians say, but I will not be mastered by anything. That's, what, that's what's going on here. See, the Corinthians have latched onto some teaching of Paul's that says, if you trust Jesus... Your salvation, your being a member of God's family, is not dependent on you keeping rules. Another word for that is the law. Um, And Paul taught this really strongly. We see it in places like uh, Romans 8. Uh, So Paul's the guy who's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, He wrote this uh, letter to the Romans as well. Uh, And he did a whole lot of teaching for the Corinthians. And this is what they've latched onto. Paul says things like, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And Paul says things like this all the way through Romans, all the way through his other letters like Galatians. He would have said things like this in his sermons all the time. And the Corinthians have latched onto this uh, and they've heard, ah, Paul, you're saying what we do doesn't save us. And they're right, aren't they? That's the Christian message. We don't get into heaven by doing good things. We can't do enough good things. Keeping the law, keeping rules won't save us. We're free from the law. And they've latched on that. And Paul goes, good, I'm glad you got that message. But they've gone to a next conclusion. They've said, what we do doesn't save us. Therefore, what we do doesn't matter. Do do you see that jump that the Corinthians have made that maybe we might make as well? Well, if doing this thing or not doing this thing, if that's not what saves us, that's not what saves me, I'm no more or less a Christian if I do or don't do this thing. It's only trusting Jesus. Well, why, why are you even concerned about what I do or don't do? I'm free. I'm free from the law. I can do what I want. Now, where might that creep in in our, in our culture, in our lives? Uh, well, I think especially if you have grown up in a Christian culture or come out of a Christian background, there are a whole bunch of areas, but one example is uh, with drinking alcohol. Um, for example, the previous generation before me, there were a lot of people uh, who would call themselves teetotalers. Uh, now, I only learned recently that that means uh, tea is the total of what they drink. That's why it's a teetotaler. Um, so it's the saying, I, I don't drink anything but tea. That's the strongest thing I'll drink is a good cup of tea. Uh, and that was the attitude for a lot of Christians and say, no, no, uh, Christians don't drink. That's not what we do. Uh, and, and then my generation came along and read our Bibles and said, you know what? That doesn't matter what we read in the Bible. Both the Old and the New Testament talk about alcohol and don't condemn drinking alcohol wholesale. Condemns drunkenness and getting drunk, but doesn't condemn drinking. Uh, But there's a danger there, isn't there, that you might say, oh, well, I can drink. And if I can drink, oh, that's fine. That doesn't, whether I drink or not, doesn't save me. So whether I have two beers or six beers or 10 beers in an evening, well, 
Does that affect me? Because what I do doesn't save me, so does what I do even matter? You see how we might start to make those same, uh, those same sort of jumps that Corinthians might. And Paul says to the Corinthians and to us, if we're doing that, he says, you've actually missed the point of freedom. See, we are free. If you trust Jesus, you're free for a higher purpose. The first thing he says, and he hints at it here, is he says, you're free not to be mastered by your own passions but to have a new master, to serve God. You're free to serve God. Here's how he puts it in Romans chapter 6. Um, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So there are Christians in Rome who Paul was writing to us saying, hey, if Jesus gets like glory when I sin and he gets to forgive me, well, the more sin I do, the more he gets to forgive me and the more glory he gets. Do you see that? that? That's what the Romans were saying. And Paul's saying, that's not how it works. Don't go into that thinking. You're not free to do what you want. You're free to serve God. We're actually free from living according to our desires. So, so if you think about either your own life or someone you know that you've experienced this, would you call someone with zero self-control free? Whether you're not free to just ex display your emotions, maybe you've had somebody in your life, maybe it's been you who says things like, everyone knows what I think because I say it as soon as it pops into my head. Uh, and I just had a little handout, uh, but that's all right. Um, now, is that, is that freedom or is that being enslaved to your own emotions? Are you free to say what you want? Or are you actually being mastered by your own desire to just blurt it out regardless of the consequences? I don't think that's freedom. The same goes for sex, drinking, drugs, anything else, food. Am I free to eat what I want? Am I free to drink what I want? Or am I enslaved by my compulsion that I've got to do this? Paul says, no, you're not free to be mastered by something else. True freedom is serving God not indulging our passions. And Paul goes on, he says, we're not only free to serve God, but we're actually free to love and serve others. That's that second thing. Uh, you, you have the right to do anything. You're free, you say, but not everything is beneficial. See, the Corinthian church is not the only church to have got muddled up on this. Um, in the whole region of Galatia, Paul wrote a letter to the Galatian churches. And here's what he says to the Galatian churches, to the Christians there. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you see what the Corinthians are doing? They're saying, I'm free. I can do what I want. I'm free from the law. I don't have to think about anybody. I can just do it. I'm free. And Paul says, you've missed the point of freedom. You're free to serve God. You're free to love others. Maybe you can imagine the Corinthians uh, strolling through the ancient city of Corinth, stopping at the nude fresco on the wall that the Romans have put up there and admiring it. Maybe the colours and the art caught their attention, uh, but they start looking at it and all these people engaged in sexual acts and their eyes are wandering and their minds are wandering and their hearts are wandering. And they're thinking to themselves, yeah, I'm going to go to church on Sunday anyway. I, I mean, I prayed this morning. 
well, what I'm doing here, that's, that's, that's fine, isn't it? Paul says, no, you're free not to do what you want, to indulge yourself. You're free to serve God, to think about what will be beneficial both for yourself and for others. They might have been thinking, hey, what I do doesn't save me, so whether I engage in this lustful behavior, it doesn't matter. Whether I do this or not doesn't affect my salvation, therefore what I do doesn't matter. Maybe that's crept into our thinking. And it might not be your front conscious brain. It might not be you're doing that rational. Maybe it is. Maybe there are times where you found yourself in a situation thinking, I know I shouldn't do this, but Jesus will forgive me anyway. That's, that's his job after all. Maybe it's not as obvious as that. Maybe it's just subconscious. Jesus will forgive me. It's not that big a deal. I'll repent later. Can you see your subconscious letting that creep in? But Paul says Jesus didn't die so that we could be enslaved to our passions. He has far better in store for us. So that's the first correction he's got for us in our thinking. Uh, freedom, we've got to get that right. The second thing he corrects in our thinking is the way we think about our bodies. Now have a look at what the Corinthians say. And this is another slogan that they use to justify their behavior. Um, so they're out going to prostitutes or they're out doing whatever they want. Uh, and they say, when someone corrects them, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy them both. So, so what's going on with that saying? Well, the Corinthians are saying, we believe there is a divide between the spiritual and the physical. Uh, so I can be a spiritual being. I can love Jesus and love God. And that's one part of me over here. And then there's this divide. And over here is my body. And God's going to destroy that. Uh, he's going to destroy the world. He'll destroy my body. My spirit will live on and my body doesn't matter. So there's, there's a separation between those two things, which means I've just got to give my body what it needs and it has no effect on my spirituality. If I'm hungry, I eat. If I have sexual needs, I go and meet those sexual needs and it doesn't matter where they get met. That's what they're saying. And it doesn't matter. God's going to destroy the body anyway. So what does it matter what I do with it? The body's just like a, it's like a takeaway container for the soul is what they're saying. Um, the, your body, the Corinthians, I'm not saying this, the Corinthians are saying your body's like the plastic container that takes your food from the shop to your home so you can eat it. And after that, it doesn't matter what you do with it. You can burn it, you can melt it, you can chop it up, you can chuck it out, you can squ It doesn't matter. Treat it how you want. All it's got to do is just get your body from birth to heaven. Done. And Paul says, you have got it wrong. Our bodies are not disposable. Have a look at Paul's response to their slogan. He says, no, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Paul says there's not this spiritual, physical divide. It's not that God saves our souls and doesn't care about our body. He saves the whole of us, our, our, our mind, our soul, our spirit, the, the whole being, uh, us. That's what God's interested, not just the soul, not just the spirit, the whole thing. 
Uh, the other thing it says here that Paul is making clear is that God has plans for our bodies. Uh, plans for our bodies that go beyond this life. Now, at this point, you might be groaning and thinking, I was really hoping for a brand spanker. Uh, maybe your knees are going. Uh, maybe it's health concerns. Uh, maybe it's some of kind of the, like the sin and the shame that you're carrying from your background that you think, oh, I just, I just want a clean start. Like moving to a new city and just starting again. I just want a new body that's clean and has no history. Maybe that's what you're hoping for. Well, what the Bible teaches is that we get a physical resurrection of this body. We follow the pattern that Jesus followed. Jesus died and was raised to, the, to life bodily. He, he ate and drank with his disciples. He had a real physical body. And they could recognize him. They saw him and they said, that's Jesus. And if they had any doubts, he pointed to the holes in his hands, the hole in his side. I don't know if they were still bleeding or they had scar. I don't know uh, how they were perfected, but they were still there. You could still tell it's Jesus. Now, now, what the Bible teaches is that if you're a Christian in the new creation, you will have a remade body, a perfected body, a renewed body, whatever that looks like. I don't know exactly what that's going to be like, but it will still be an upgraded version of this one. It's not disposable and you get something brand spanking. God's got plans for our bodies. So we can't just treat them like a disposable container. The next thing Paul wants us to hear and the Corinthians to hear about our bodies is that some things we do with our bodies have particular impacts. And sex is one of those. Sex is particularly impactful. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it. Uh, it has a bigger impact than other things, both good and bad. Sex is not just another bodily function. It's not just like eating and drinking. Uh, look at what Paul says in verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Uh, now, that's referring back to Genesis, where God uh, created mankind, Adam and Eve, and established marriage. He made Adam and Eve, man and woman, male and female. He joined them together in marriage. And, and that's where the, the teaching of marriage comes from. And sex within marriage, sexual intimacy, is the acting out of the covenant, of the relationship. Sex unites in a way. It's the acting out of that uniting of two people who now become one. Uh, and we see that uh, in, in our culture, in our society. We see that in the Bible. Uh, a marriage without some sort of sexual intimacy is actually missing something. Now, I use that word deliberately, sexual intimacy, because it will be different for different couples. But sex without, marriage without sexual intimacy is, is missing something. Basically just really good friends, very good roommates. And on the other side of things, sexual intimacy without marriage, it's different than just eating a burger. It's more than nothing. It creates something. It doesn't make you married. I want to be really clear, just because you've had sex with someone that in no way um, joins you to them in marriage. That, that's not the teaching of the Bible. And it doesn't mean you need to marry that person. Uh, the Bible has a whole lot of counsel on this. But it does, it does do something. 
it creates a kind of joining. It's particularly impactful. And so it should come as no surprise if, if sexual intimacy does that, sexual sin is particularly impactful on us. That's what Paul says in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Not, you know, oh, it's not that bad. No, flee from it. Run away. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, we've got to be really clear here. All sins are equally disqualifying. Uh, So when it comes to God's entry standard, if you want to get into heaven on your own merit, uh, you've got to score 100% perfection. That's that's the the uni entry mark you need to get into heaven. 100% perfection. And no one gets that in life. So whether it's a a small lie or a Hitler-level sin, those two things equally disqualify you from being perfect. That's how, that's how sin works. But not all sins are equally impactful on us or on others. Uh, and that's what Paul's getting at here. Uh, for me, if I indulge in, uh, in gluttony, which through Proverbs, uh, and even in this passage, the way it's talking about food, is actually described as a sin. It's, it's, it's kind of that word where you go, oh, how, how? it's being mastered by something that I don't have control over. And I do fall into that from time to time, whether it's for a moment, a meal, or months. If, if I fall into that and indulge, but then repent and move away from that, it doesn't carry the same deep grief and shame and impact as when I fall into sexual sin of some sort. That carries a much deeper shame and impact in my body. It's not talking here about the physical effects of sin as if um, using uh, different drugs uh, or abusing alcohol uh, isn't like sins against your own body. Of course, those things affect you physically. It's not talking about that. It's talking about something else, something spiritually that happens to us. It's particularly impactful. And that deals, that connects directly with the Corinthians' next problem with their thinking, which is around salvation. And, and Paul just flows on into this. He says, do you not know that your, your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now, Paul's just explained the significance of sexual intimacy. It creates a a bond, a, a joining of some sort. And now he says that when you become a Christian, you don't just change your thinking. You don't just tick a new box on the census record. You actually get united spiritually with God himself. A union occurs in marriage. Some sort of joining occurs when you have sexual intimacy with someone. And a union occurs when you become a Christian. You are united with Christ. Look how Paul puts it in verse 15. Do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God? That's what happens when we put our trust in Jesus. It's not just a change in our thinking. God himself indwells us. We are are united to him. And and when you think about that, and then you think, oh, hang on, 
when I have sex with someone, when I experience sexual intimacy with someone, I'm, I'm creating a bond. And I'm already bonded with Christ. If, if that's outside the confines of a faithful marriage, do I, do I want to bring God, Christ, into this sinful bonding, this union? Paul says, never. Don't do that. He says that you've misunderstood salvation. It's not just a change in your thinking. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. See, see, Paul goes through all these things. You've got freedom wrong. You're not free to indulge yourself. You've got the body's wrong. The body's not disposable. It matters what you do with it. You've got salvation wrong. It's not just a change in your thinking. You're united with Christ. And so, therefore, you need to change your practice. Paul's not content just to give us and the Corinthians the principles and then say, oh, look, here's the principles. Figure it out for yourselves. I don't really care. No, he, he needs us to know what we should do. And he does that by this little pattern of teaching. He'll say, do you not know? And he'll give some teaching. And then he'll, he'll refer and give us a, a principle or a practice. So he says, do you not know, we just read it, um, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, what should I do about that? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite with a prostitute? No. Change your thinking on this. You are united with Christ. Therefore, change your practice. Don't pursue sexual intimacy with someone who's not your spouse. Look at what that's doing. Don't go there. Change your practice. He, he does it again. It's the same there. For, uh, do you not know? Uh, your body's the temples of the Holy Spirit. But this time, he gives a different application. And it's not just about prostitutes. There's some people who say, oh, it's fine. You know, uh, as long as you don't go to a prostitute, the other sexual stuff's okay. No, it, it's everything. Flee from sexual immorality, he says. Flee from sexual immorality. Uh, once you understand that our bodies matter, that sex is particularly impactful, we should put sexual purity very high on our list of priorities of things we need to give attention to. If our thinking changes, we, we really get, yeah, this, this makes a big impact. This, this is different to drinking too much. This is different to losing my temper. This is different to those other sins. This is particularly impactful. And so we should flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Now, there are plenty of don'ts in this passage, but there is a positive uh, side to the don'ts of what we should do instead. And that's where Paul ends in verse 19, 20. He, he says, change your thinking. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. That's a thinking. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, if, if you're a Christian, why are you a Christian? If you are forgiven, why are you forgiven? If you're one of God's children, how did that come about? Well, it came about because of what Jesus did on the cross. It, it was a very costly adoption process for you and I. It was an incredibly costly purchase of our forgiveness. And it wasn't just the physical suffering Jesus went through on the cross. It was him taking the, the punishment and the consequence for my sin on himself and your sin and the sins of the whole world. That's the cost. The eternal God who is holy and perfect taking sin on himself. 
the only one who truly deserved to be declared innocent, taking the judgment for everyone who is declared not innocent. That's the cost. You, Christian, were bought at a price. That's the truth. That's the thinking change. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. See, I think the question we could slip into asking without this statement, we could slip into asking the question, can I do this and still qualify as a Christian? Can I do this? How far can I go? Sin, sexually, whatever. How far can I go and still, yeah, I'm okay. I haven't crossed the line. It's it's really how much can I get away with and not get in trouble question. But Paul says that's the wrong question to be asking if you understand this. The question to be asking is, how can I honour God? Not can I get away with this, but how can I honour God with my body? Let's apply this to a few situations uh, as we as we whiz through. Uh, workshop it. The first one, sexual sin. Understanding the, the, the nature of sexual intimacy, the nature of sexual sin, therefore and the damage that does to us, to others, flee from it. It's pretty clear cut. How can I honour God with my body sexually? Outside of a committed, lifelong marriage relationship, none. No no sexual expression outside of that. That's the only place God says that sexual expression is good and godly and glorifying. So outside of that, just, just, just nothing. Don't go there. That's how you honour God with your body. What about other general sins, and particularly the physical ones? There's lots of other general sins, like how we handle our money or anger or whatever it might be, but let's think about the physical ones here because that's this passage. Um, Other physical sins like, I don't know, uh, getting drunk. Uh, Drinking alcohol is not forbidden. It seems to be encouraged in the Bible in different circumstances. In moderation, not to drunkenness. And that's not just habitual drunkenness, that's just one. Don't get drunk. How do I honour God with my body when it comes to alcohol? Don't get drunk. Don't. When it comes to illegal substances, the Bible's really clear. Obey your authorities, live to the laws of the land. That's why God's uh, set it up. Don't go there. Don't, Don't do it. Those things are relatively cut and dry. But what about, I'm calling it sometimes sin. And this is things where it takes a lot of wisdom to figure it out. Things that may be sin because of what's going on in our heart and our context, and actually may not be sin because of what's going on in our heart and our context. I only say things like marijuana. Uh, in New South Wales at the moment, uh, cannabis usage is illegal. So that, that's illegal. Don't do it. Honour God with your body. In the ACT, it is legal for personal use, and that. That's the trajectory where that's coming to the rest of Australia. So we'll, we'll have to cross this. Is it okay to use marijuana? Well, you've, you've got to think. When is it not sin? When is it sin? Am I being mastered by this? Is it beneficial for me and for others? You've got to really ask that question. That's a sometimes sin thing, isn't it? Uh, that, that's the that, that's that questions we have to work through. Uh, is it beneficial? Am I mastered? How do I honour God uh, with my body in this? You apply the same thing to alcohol, not drunkenness, just drinking in general. How much and how regularly I drink. I can have a couple of standard drinks and still be able to drive. 
But is it wise for me to do that at breakfast and at lunch and at dinner, seven days a week, 30 days a month, 365 days a year? Is it explicitly saying, oh, I'm, not, I'm not drunk? I'm going to suggest that's neither beneficial and I'm being mastered by it and I'm not honouring God with my body at that, that point. But somewhere along that spectrum of drinking, we've got to say, what, where does this land? Uh, when it comes to eating food, whether it's quality or quantity, we've got to ask that question. Am I being mastered by this? Is it beneficial? Uh, and I think that is it beneficial. Is it beneficial for others? It's a, will doing this help me serve God and others or hinder me from serving God and others? It's a good question to ask. And in different contexts, that might come up. Uh, at different points with eating, I could say, no, I'm on a health kick. I'm not going to eat with this person who's invited me over dinner. Sorry, I'd love to see you, but I don't want to eat with you because I'm on a health kick. Oh, I've got to ask the question. Is this beneficial to me? Am, am I putting this in its wrong place? How do I honour God with, my other, with, with others? Will this hinder my missional efforts? Uh, and now that... Now that comes into our last two warnings for this passage. And the warnings are these. We can give uh, how we treat our bodies too much attention. Um, some Christians and churches have done this. All health at spiritual expense. The way we think about health and eating and food in our bodies can very easily end up works-based. Uh, that would evidence ourselves if we look at others and the way they're thinking about health, especially about eating, and think they're a worse Christian than me because of the way they treat their body. That's a really dangerous attitude. If you found yourself creeping into that, I want you to examine it, think about it, talk to a Christian you, you trust, like Alice and me, confess it. That, that's, a, that's a dangerous attitude. Um, we could actually end up glorifying our body, not glorifying God with our body, giving it so much attention. We, we've got to really watch that. I'll put it this way. If you are super strict on your diet, but not noticing that you're drifting with your eyes, with the way you think about other men or other women who aren't your spouse. You're, you're really good on health, tick, 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 but you're, you're drifting. I'm very concerned about that. And if you are really on top of sexual purity, guarding your eyes, being careful about what you say, what you think, what you do, but you've slipped on some of those other bodily sins... <laughs> I'm not so concerned. That's what Paul says here. That's the weight we should give it. Don't give this too much attention. But it is possible to give it too little attention. What you do with your body matters, particularly when it comes to sexual sin. And we need to talk about this. This is not just intercourse. I know in, in my teenage years, that was the way often Christians, teens would think about it. Oh, this is, you, you've got to stop before intercourse. Uh, and anything up to there is okay. That's not what this is talking about. The, the word for sexual, um, sexual sin is porneia in the Greek. Sound familiar? Yeah, pornography, lust, sexual comments and desire, the way we might make a comment about someone else's spouse, some other man or woman, that we've been thinking about them. Oh, but you can't get, wait to get home to him or to her. What's going on in our mind, in our head, in our eyes, in our thoughts, in our hearts? 
If we're engaging in thinking about sexual things outside of a marriage relationship, and of course, sexual intimacy, and, and don't assume that that doesn't happen in churches, that that doesn't happen in Christian communities. This is a huge issue. We are built with very strong sexual desires and drives, and they get on top of people. Don't assume that this won't happen to you, to me. Be careful. Don't assume that it hasn't. And if that's you, flee from it. Uh, There was a a statement I heard uh, in a sermon uh, a couple of years ago that really, um, really, really stuck with me. It was that you are only ever two bad decisions away from sexual shipwreck. I think the phrase they used from adultery, but from sexual shipwreck. Two bad decisions. You might think, oh, no, I'm a long way from doing something really bad. Really? It only takes a couple of bad decisions. Oh, yeah, look, I'll, we've had a nice time together at the party. We'll go home, have a couple of drinks. First bad decision. What's the second one? Be, be careful with this, with our minds, with our hearts, with our eyes, with our bodies. But there is a great encouragement here. There is freedom to be had. And I would encourage us all to be finding freedom sexually. First, for you, if you've got a, a history of sexual sin, whether it's something that was done to you or something that you did, something that's, that's painful, I would encourage you that there is freedom and healing and cleansing and growth and restoration to be had. If you, if you feel shame and damage and brokenness there, God does amazing things as we come out of that and we repent. And if, if that is your past and you've come out of that and you've, you've repented, you are forgiven, you are cleansed. And you can increasingly experience the cleansed conscience that, that God promises to his children. And one day that will be perfected and completed in our new bodies. But if you're stuck in it, whether it's your eyes, your mind, on the computer, physically, I'd encourage you to, to flee from this. It's not just a small thing. It's not something we can ignore. It's not something, oh, it's okay, Jesus, Jesus will deal with all that. This, this is deeply impactful. Confess it to God. And I want to encourage you to find another Christian and confess it to them. Choose carefully. Pick someone wise, someone you trust, someone mature. Ask for help. That's, that's how you really drag something out of the darkness, saying sorry to God, that's one thing. Telling it to another person, I need help with this. That's where we exhibit humility and really drag it out of the darkness. Uh, and there are lots of ways, there's lots of programs, there's lots of resources out there. If you're a guy, by all means, come and talk to me. Uh, I'd love to point you in the right direction. Uh, if you're a lady, please don't come talk to me probably won't be helpful for either of us, but come talk to Lucy or one of the other uh, mature ladies in our church. We would love to help you get in the right direction for this. And I promise that if you want to repent, if you're seeking help, you will find hope, not shame. If you come trying to change, it won't be, we don't, we don't want to be, oh, gee, I'm so disappointed. It'll be, oh, this is fantastic that you want to deal with this. Freedom is so good that it's worth the possible shame. Tim, we on it?
Okay, I've unmuted that one now. Okay, we're back. Okay. Um, this might seem scary, and it is costly. It's costly to deal with this stuff, but it is so worth it. Uh, you can get freedom from the past. Um, there might still be consequences, but we can experience that cleansed conscience. Uh, I'm going to pray now, and then we'll have a couple of minutes for questions before we sing in response. Father God, as we, uh, as we come to this uh, really intimate and personal issue for each one of us, uh, we pray that you would help us. Help us be honest with ourselves. Help us be honest with you. And help us be honest with somebody else, someone we trust, about where we're at and what we're actually struggling with. Father God, we, we know that you, you offer good things. And one of those things you offer is freedom. Freedom from just being mastered by our desires. Freedom from indulging ourselves. Freedom from being selfish. You offer freedom from shame and guilt and condemnation. And we pray that we might, each one of us, experience this freedom in increasing measure. Please help us uh, to step forward, to come to you in trust and humility. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.